I'm Chef Pete Kagan from Cargill, and we're in the kitchen with Sterling Silver Premium Meats. It's a podcast where we'll be serving up insights and perspectives for chefs and food service professionals. And of course, we'll be digging into the world of premium beef. Because even with over 30 years of culinary experience, I still have an appetite for learning more. I hope you're hungry too. We're coming to you from the Cargill Innovation Center in Wichita, Kansas. And today, we're continuing our look at beef primals in a special 10-part series. This episode, the loin primal is in the spotlight. And we're proud to welcome Chef Michael Sian, chef and owner of the Bedford Social Club in Bedford, Virginia, to talk about preparing and serving the spectacular cuts found within the loin primal. As a bit of background, Chef Michael was Playboy International Club's youngest executive chef ever, running its culinary operation while he was in his 20s. He has since headed kitchens in New York City and Miami, as well as owning and operating establishments in Los Angeles and Tampa, Florida. He's now running the show at the Bedford Social Club, and he's also a Sterling Silver Signature Chef, a title he has owned for over a decade. Welcome into the kitchen, Chef. Hi, Pete. Good to talk to you again. So why why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about yourself? Well, Pete, I didn't set out to be a chef like a lot of other chefs I've met. (laughs) I was a communication major in, in college, and I started working in a restaurant in New York City for a few extra bucks. And I... I kind of got bit by the proverbial bug, kitchen bug, mm-hmm. working in a hotel that had French and Swiss and British chefs. Uh, the British guy was actually running the show there, and he had cooked for the queen. So these were pretty high-level chefs. So uh, okay. you know, it's intriguing to watch people at that level with that skill and with that dedication. And, of course, when you're a young man, that's the, that could be very intriguing. And sure enough, uh, <laughs> next thing I knew... I was working in restaurants and hotels and whatnot. Anything like, you know, back then when you first started in in New York and working with these chefs, like anything specific come to mind that you'd like to share? My first foray with an executive chef was a French chef. And I was, of course, the bottom of the totem pole. I peeled about five pounds of shrimp and, you know, I threw the shells away. <laughs> came into the kitchen and you know in French he's yelling to them, where's the shells and somebody pointed to the garbage oh my goodness I thought he was going to kill me <laughs> uh, he didn't have me dig the shells out of the garbage but I guess I would have if he had asked sure no doubt from then on uh, I didn't throw a thing away till I was told yeah right I think we've all had similar things happen in our careers and that's how we learn right I mean hopefully you learn from that yeah, the shells, they're wonderful. I think there's more flavor in the shells than there is in the actual shrimp, to be honest. Or you can extract more flavor from them, right? Yep. His stock pot was empty that day, and <laughs> I paid the price with the glaring looks and raised sure. eyebrows. Yeah, and, and a couple of stacks of 50-pound boxes of onions added to your daily prep list that day, right? Potatoes, exactly. <laughs> and here's a little toothbrush to clean the potatoes with, right? You know? That's hey, that's how you learn. I mean, we make mistakes, and that's how we get better at what we do. And I'm sure you probably tell people when you're training them early on, don't throw this away. Don't throw that away, right? Because it's just one of those things. Yeah, ask first. If you're not sure, ask. So what I want to talk about with you is beef, sterling silver beef, right? This high-quality premium beef that I know you love, and so do I. And we're going to focus on the loin, and that would be both 
the loin where like strip loin and tenderloin and everything comes from, short loins, but then also the sirloin area. So you've got top sirloin, tri-tips, sirloin flap, ball tips. Even off that top sirloin, you've got the culotte or picanha. Give us your take on some of those cuts, right? You know, maybe we can focus on, say, like the strip loin and tenderloin first. And, you know, how important that is in your career, in your restaurant today, and your take on it just in the industry as a whole. Well, sure, Pete. I think that the strip and the filet are going to be your, your go-tos. I mean, everybody's familiar with them. You have uh, customers that, you know, they've been eating them their whole lives. So it's almost, you feel obligated to have them on the menu. You know, the other cuts that you were mentioning earlier are the ones that, you know, lesser known, but really serve a purpose and give you variety and give your customers more options. And you're, you know, you one of the things you want to do is educate your customers as much as you can. I live in a smaller town and we have a lot of repeat business. So if they don't see, you know, new things on the menu, innovative things on the menu, they get bored and, they, and they're quick to tell you, you know, I'm in this, uh, the social club's open 17 years and I've got people that have been eating with us since day one. So I want to respect that. And I want to respect the fact that they have been so loyal by giving them new and, and innovative things when I can without, you sure. know, alienating other people. So you uh-huh. run, you're always running that fine balance. Um, yep. Well, one of the cuts you mentioned earlier, just uh, when you were listing some of them was the flap meat, for example, that thing, I could do anything with that. I could build a house with that, with that cut. You know, it's uh I use it, you know, like I would use a skirt or like I would use a flank. Just as much flavor. You got to treat it a little different, but it, it, it's such a versatile cut and so delicious when it's done right. And, you know, I use it at both my restaurants. Uh, I do have another restaurant in Bedford called Azul, which was a fast, casual Mexican. But we're doing a lot of world food there. You know, we use exclusively uh, flat for our fajitas there. And, but, I, you know, I'll buy a case of flap and I'll take a couple of bags over to a social club and we turn it into stews. I mean, we can turn it into, uh, you know, uh, like a flat iron type of an approach as a steak. There's, there's times where I could take that, you know, that same cut of meat and make, you know, three different stews, a Moroccan, a Filipino, a, a machado, a, a tangine, a gisela style. So, I mean, you're making three stews, you're doing fajitas over there, you're using it as a steak. You can't do that with a fillet. You can't do that with no. with a strip. I mean, you can, but you know, cost prohibitive. No, I mean honestly, yeah. You you could braise anything. It doesn't mean it's going to be really good at the end of the day. It's not made for it. Exactly. You know, it. I love hearing that you're making stews with it because I was just going to say I think a lot of people don't give it that braise application, and it is phenomenal. Whether you're cubing it up. Or you're keeping it in the larger pieces and having those longer shreds, right? It doesn't have as much, say, connective tissue as parts of the chuck. And also, yeah, you're not getting that, I don't know, that indulgence that you get from, like, breaking down the collagen and all. Right. But you still have tons of, of marbling that's going on there. And the texture of it allows for a really tender, moist bite. With a different texture, right? So it still holds on to some of those larger uh, fiber textures. Um, Absolutely. You know, a lot of people will braise flank. Flank tends to be a little bit on the dry side, and it doesn't have any of that marbling and stuff going in there. So it's one of those things that 
you really have to be careful. You got to pull it when it's just about ready. <laughs> there is no forgiveness and letting it go over a little, you know, because then it's definitely not good. I, um, I, we do a machado, the Filipinos do. And mm-hmm. usually you got to lard that meat, you know, uh, but sure. In flap, <laughs> you know, again, you got to You got to watch your watch your timing on it. But comes out beautiful. Yeah, very, very versatile. How about you ever play around with tri-tips? I do. You know, I lived in California for a while in Los Angeles where I met my wife. And tri-tip is, as you know, huge out there. And I didn't mm-hmm. hear about it on the on the East Coast in my younger days. I mean, nobody talked about it. Again, you take a cut like that and you could do almost anything with it. We generally uh, marinate and grill. and serve it sort of you know, London broil style. Sure. And uh, that's a very popular I sell out of that whenever we have it. Uh, availability on on whatever reason out here has been rough on that lately. Supply chain issues are, you know, sporadic and are. It's it's funny because it seems like something is always in stock and then it's not in stock. I mean, it's, it's just going to happen, and I get that. That's about everything nowadays, right? Yeah, absolutely. But Sterling has done, I think, an awesome job minimizing that. We try, no doubt. You know, the tri-tip piece, you mentioned that, I mean, most of it, I remember at one point, I think at least 70% of the tri-tips produced out there were going to the West Coast, you know, so that doesn't leave a lot because then you got the Midwest and then the East Coast, right? And no one was really pulling it to the East Coast at all because no one really knew what it was because it was never available. But there's more and more restaurants use it nowadays, and that probably plays into the rise of the popularity of it out there, probably because of like barbecue and things like that getting more popular, probably makes it a little harder at times for you to get your hands on it. But again, another wonderful, flavorful cut. Texturally, it's got, again, some, you know, larger muscle fibers compared to some cuts. Uh, But when treated right, it's got a great bite to it. Tons of marbling, tons of flavor. Another cut you should think about, I mean, again, you mentioned it earlier, cost plays into it, but that actually turns into a really good braise also. And you can dice it and you can braise it whole, shred it. You should try it one time if you haven't, just to see what it, uh, what the final texture and flavor is like on that. I could probably create a menu with a couple thousand things on it with just those two cuts, right? Because so many different things you can do. And you know, in this in this environment, in the, in the economic environment, and uh, in the culinary environment as well, using same cut for multiple mm-hmm. uh, purposes is just uh, really a, a time saver. It's a money saver, and uh, you know, it, it it makes inventory easier. You know, you buy a chuck for this, and, and, and you know, try for that, and blah blah blah. You know, if you can condense even a couple of products in a busy kitchen environment, you're doing yourself a, a favor. Listening to you say that, it's so true, right? Nowadays, and sometimes people had to make their menus a little smaller. So can I buy in one or two different cuts and make it work across my whole menu? But you think about labor tends to be a little tough. But, you know, if you're going to teach someone how to prepare the beef, to trim it, to cut it into steaks, whatever it might be, just having a couple and using that for everything probably gives you, the chef, the owner, a little bit better feeling knowing that 
it's not rocket science. And I don't have five, six, seven different cuts that if someone doesn't cut it right, it's going to lead to a bad experience. You know, if you've got two cuts that you're working with and you give it to the, you know, the few people that you trust, it's not like you have to show them how to cut up the whole animal. I've worked in places that, you know, the chefs just don't want people to touch the cut. They don't want you to touch the tenderloin. They don't want you to touch the ribeye because it's expensive, right? So if you don't cut it right, <laughs> it becomes waste. Becomes the the employee meal at night. Yeah, right. That's pretty expensive. So now you you have possibly a, a cut that costs less, and then also it's minimal trim going on. But if that's the same cut they're doing over and over and over and over again, they get good at it, and it makes life a lot easier. Your yields will be better too. And your bottom line will be better. Well, yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, that's that's what we're looking to do. So one other piece, I mean, since we're talking about it, right, you've got the what I would consider is the bottom sirloin, and you've got ball tip is in there too. You ever play around with ball tips? You know, uh, not a lot until I was okay. listening to uh, Chef Dave's podcast recently. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's a big ball tip guy, Colorado Chef of the Year, Chef Dave. And, mm-hmm. uh, well, it, it, he's just a great chef and a great person. After his little talk about ball tips, I got excited. So we've been messing around a little bit. Again, another versatile cut. Again, I kind of got stuck on uh, on flat, flat as yeah. my as my go to versatile cut. And you, you know, you kind of you get familiar with it. You, you do what you want with it. It's like an instrument. Once you get used to a certain instrument, you want to you kind of stick to it. That's my go to for versatile. Uh, I totally understand and. Uh... I mean, it's a great cut to have outside of the other cuts that you almost have to always have, right? So you've got your strip loin and, and then your your tenderloin too. So with the strip loin, um, you bring that in, you bring it in boneless, you bring it in bone in. What do you do with that? We do, we do a boneless cut. Again, people expect it. I've got an older clientele. There's a resort town near us, uh, Smith Mountain Lake, uh, Virginia beautiful, very wealthy people. And that's a, 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 a mainstay of my clientele. And sure. they, you know, I've taken the, you know, take the strip off and <laughs> you think that you, uh, you know, uh, took one of their grandchildren for ransom. <laughs> these, these, uh, these older folks, they want their traditional cuts. They want sure. the strip and they want a filet. I have to have them on the menu. I yeah. Mean, they're I, amazing. Well, what I've been seeing lately, though, especially with younger people, we've been experimenting a lot with steaks for two. You know, we've been doing the tomahawk at Big Porterhouse, and that has tremendous uh, appeal to, especially younger clientele. See a value in it uh, because it's sort of, okay, I'm I'm, going to double the price of the two steaks, but this is less than the price of two steaks. And yeah, I mean, they're they're doing the math in their head. On our end, you know, if you're you're cutting it right and and you're portioning it right, you are seeing a good value back. You're cutting down on labor. You, you know, cooking one steak for two people. You got when you got a ten top, a twelve top. When you're doing a big party, well, that that helps helps the kitchen get the food out, and you can do a beautiful presentation for you know a steak for two. Especially you know tomahawk just looks gorgeous if you if you're doing it right and your the presentation is right. So it's over. It's you know. Yeah, no doubt. And. You're right. The cost, everybody's looking at that and what's the value to me. But there's also the whole sharing aspect of it, too. A lot of people love sharing food. 
And, you know, maybe some of the older people don't do it as much because it was, you know, I got my plate and that's what I got, right? You know, nowadays I think everybody's reaching over and trying and it's about the experience. And that's pretty cool. Put out a fanned out uh, tomahawk with, uh, you know, a little fingerling potatoes and some roasted Brussels sprouts, uh, sprouts and, um, you know, that presentation is beautiful and it's communal and it makes the experience. You know, one of the things that I think people forget about if they're in the restaurant business sometimes is this is an experience. Yeah, you're getting fed and, you know, you're, you're getting sated, so to speak. And, but there's something about dining if you if with a you know your significant other or with your family or with some good friends it's such a uh, a bonding and uh, you know our our lives are are fleeting and and to share break bread and and to share a great meal with people is really a, a pretty you know it's it's one of the human experiences that everybody sure. can relate to and and love and love to do so yeah. I think sometimes we lose sight of that because you get wrapped up in the business and you get wrapped up in food costs and and that's a you know again that's a human thing too. You're providing mm-hmm. for your family. You're, you've got a business you've got to maintain. But the experience for the customer, for the end, for the end user, is something that uh, if if you keep that in mind, it's almost like you have to put on that different hat or the different perspective. Uh, I appreciate that. At the social club, we have done hundred year birthday parties. We have done seventy fifth year and uh, wedding anniversaries. We've done countless, uh, you know, wedding uh, rehearsal dinners and weddings with catered weddings, but to be part of that in people's lives, you know, and it, it's it's really the most rewarding part of of the re- being in the restaurant business. Sure, making memories, making memories, you know? absolutely. And you know what? A great meal, a great big chunk of delicious beef. That's part of the memory. Yeah, no doubt. Part and parcel. So. Back to your clientele or the older uh, folks that are getting the strip steaks, do they tend to get them a little bit more medium and more well done than they do medium rare? You know, that's funny. I see, and regardless of age, temperatures, I don't don't see that as as strongly as I used to anyway. Uh, I think there's more food awareness. You know, it's a foodie world, the foodie, Mm -hmm. you know, the food network, et cetera. I mean, I think people... Older and younger, They're, my mother-in-law, for example, she's in her early 80s, and she has just gone on a. <laughs> she used to have five meals she made, you know, uh, and sure, she is just experimenting with this and with that. So I think there's just more food awareness. Um, that's something I'm seeing. One thing I'm seeing, and this seems to be a trend in my restaurant, so that people are literally asking, and I don't mind. It used to bug me. Well, I want it medium, but close to the medium rare. You know, you, you heard that a million times. Me a mm-hmm. little more close to the, the medium well side. Okay. You know what? It, it doesn't have to be rare, medium rare, you know, medium, medium well, well. It could be, I, I get it. I, I like my steak, right? Somewhere between rare and medium rare. Uh, yeah. I don't really like it cold or, you know, too cold in the middle, but I don't want, you know, sometimes medium rare is a little bit much. So sure. as a chef, you can, you know, you're making yourself a steak. You can, as a personal thing, you can sort of nuance it. You know, if a customer yeah. wants it nuanced, I'm going to try and do it as, as, as best I can. Yeah, that, I mean, that's our role, right? You know, try to make them happy. And yeah, you can't get stuck. I mean, if you think 135 is medium rare, 125 is rare, well, then it sounds like you want 130. That's not that hard to do. really isn't. What are you cooking the steaks on? We have we have a, uh, you know, we use LP here in the okay. state of Virginia. 
And uh, yeah, we've got a, a good size grill and it's seasoned well. And I, I think that does the best job. We do pan sear, you know, there are some menu items that are calling to be pan seared. Sure. In, in the mm-hmm. general steak, we, uh, in the general sense, we grill our steaks. So what are you offering for sauces or seasonings? Anything? Do you change it up? Or is it your traditionals and then some new things? What, what do you got going on there? We've been doing a lot of compound butters lately. You know, mm-hmm. blue cheese. We're doing a foie gras uh, butter or, you know, our, just our herbed hotel style butter. So okay. that's, been a, that's been a trend lately. And because p- people, I think, don't want to be overwhelmed with sauces all the time. We've had a, sure. a, one of the staples on our menu forever has been a, has been steak au pois. And we've gotten, you know, uh, we have a following that just comes in for our steak au pois. So we do do that. It's traditional, you know, cracked peppercorn and cognac and blah, blah, blah. But uh, we're trying to, uh, like I said, with the butters, it kind of keeps it simple. A nice presentation, a big hunk of, uh, uh, and we give people a choice. You know, I don't just do one. They can have compound butter, and they know what we have. We list we list them on the menu. Sure, smart business too, right? You know, when you think about making sauces and stuff like that, it can be expensive. I mean, not that butter's cheap, but you take some butter and you and you season it up and then flavor it, and you know, however you want to do it, pipe them out or roll them into logs and cut them. I mean, it lasts a long time, right? That's a prep step on a Monday that can last you the whole week. You make your butter again next week. As opposed to sauces, you know, you got to bring them back to a boil, cool them back down if you haven't sold them, freeze them. You know, there's, plus, again, there's a lot of money that goes into a sauce. And time. In, in a lot of sauces. And time, you're right. There's no doubt. Butters are a lot easier. And, you know, and I've noticed, too, a lot more butters they were around and then they weren't around and now they're back again. Cause I mean, you can basically put anything in there, but I think a big part of that too is the fact that for a while there, butter wasn't good for you. And I'm not saying that it's like the most healthiest thing in the world, but it's not unhealthy, you know, animal fats and just natural products like that are actually really good. And science is telling us that it's, it's really good for you. And that's a good fat to have in in your system. So I think that's more and more people like, I I want some butter. And this is going to, I mean, we know what it tastes like on a steak. It's just amazing. Even if it's just plain butter put on a steak, it just just adds to the overall experience. Yeah, it doesn't Um, overwhelm the steak. And and I think when you say, you know, what do you see as a trend? I've seen people avoiding the overwhelming additions. Sure. With a a cheap cut that's been, you know, not been prepared with, all the expertise in the world, you can douse it with this sauce or that, or flap some steak sauce mm-hmm. on it. I guess that's par for the course in certain establishments. But when you're sure. when you're serving a sterling silver product and it is prepared properly, you know, let the steak speak for itself. Compliment it, but don't don't overwhelm it. Hundred percent, that's the way to go. You do anything else with say the strip? You guys ever play around with like splitting them and making Manhattan's, or are you just cutting New York strips basically out of them? We're cutting strips. Our menu is so varied, Pete. And again, go back to labor issues. You know, we're, we're trying to keep it simple. You know, we got, sure. a, we okay. got a strip, we got a fillet. You know, we'll do the uh, the tomahawk here and there, uh, the, the the porterhouse for two. You know, we'll either do a try or the flat meat style or a flat iron. You know, we're, we're trying to keep it to four, maybe five cuts. So when it comes to, say, sterling silver or these cuts and whether you're bringing in something new or, 
or somebody's new. Is there, uh, you have training for the front of the house to talk about the type of meat and what's so special about it and why these cuts? Yeah, you know, it's funny because at first we did that a lot. And at the time, and I have to be honest, it wasn't really translating to the, it was a lot of work on our part that really wasn't translating to the customers. And maybe it's because, you know, you look at, you know, reasons behind this, reasons behind that. We have such a regular clientele. They're trusting. They know me. They know the staff. You know, if you're in a city and, and you know, you're having a lot of you know, people, tourists and whatever, uh, that kind of a trade, I think that your staff has to be more. And, and I don't think it's because my staff doesn't know or doesn't want to know, because they do know. But people just are, you know, when you have a lot of regulars, and you know, there's the Blue Ridge Mountains and the Blue Ridge Parkway is not too far from us. So there are short windows during the, the when the leaves are falling and people are coming for the foliage. Um, we'll see an influx of, of tourists and you know people that are coming down off the parkway and venturing in. But again, it's a, we're not seasonal. We're uh, there's the short little bursts where we get a little added punch. Sure. And I, actually, it doesn't change my numbers at all because all that means is the regulars aren't getting in and they kind of back off. Mm-hmm. You doing anything uh, interesting and new with any side dishes? You know, do you try to change that up every once in a while? Yeah, I, th- I think that's where you're going to see the most. Uh, you know, again, you're going to want to incorporate trends. We're seeing a lot of mac and cheese activity, you know, sure. lobster mac, uh, seafood macs. We're doing a, uh, a five cheese mac with different exotic cheeses. Um, so that's been a really popular side dish. We're doing a lot of roasted vegetables as uh, you know, premium sides. We have a lot uh, in this area. There's a lot of uh, small farms that specialize in vegetables that you don't see on menus every day. So we try to interact with those folks as much as we can. Farm to table, uh, small organic a lot of organic you know they we can't call it organic because they're not all certified but these guys would rather die than have anything near their stuff and we buy from them and you know again that it's incorporating the keeping the local people because everybody knows everybody in these types of areas you know if you sure. put, uh, mountain run farms we got the uh, kohlrabi from the mountain run farm boy people just love that stuff so you want to do that way speaking of mountain run farm i, I thought of them because they're, they're friends of mine as well we did a, uh, I don't know if people might be familiar with the rock and roll legend, Todd Rundgren. Uh, mm-hmm. We did a, uh, we did Todd Fest. We catered the social club and Azul. We used both staffs. We catered Todd Stock about oh, three years ago now. He calls it Todd Stock. He did one in, in uh, Scotland. He did one in Monterey. He did one in Australia. And the fourth one uh, concert he did, it was his 70th birthday. And he did one here in in Bedford, in well, town outside of Bedford, Sedalia. And uh, we had six days, 600 people. Uh, they all camped and stayed in B&Bs, Airbnbs, and stayed in local hotels. And we did breakfast, uh, lunch, and dinner for 600 people for six days straight. So that was nice. an undertaking. And we served a lot of beef. <laughs> a lot of, <laughs> and we had, oh, my goodness. 60 cases of beef that week. Nice. So uh, I was I was on Sterling's A-list, I guess, that week. <laughs> that was a very cool thing. We had, uh, you know, Todd had produced uh, 
Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell album. He was no, okay. He just got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, last year, and uh, so as a producer as well, he Joe Walsh was uh, there, and um, some of the people from Cheap Trick because he produced all these guys. He was and Ringo was supposed to show up. He was in. He was a guitar player for Ringo's All Star Band, Todd. Mm-hmm. And, yes, uh, he was. Yeah, and uh, he was supposed to, but Ringo had a scheduling conflict, so he didn't show up. That's it, a- that was a very cool thing, and it was able able to make meals for that many people for that many days was quite an undertaking but my staff just really uh, came came through flying colors and people had a great time so that was a really That's, cool event to be part of and it sounded like you worked with a lot of local uh, uh farms and other probably local producers and just made it made it all about the neighborhood absolutely cool. eggs and produce from all the locals the only thing that came from out of town was uh throwing silver beef well very very cool so I always like to ask on my podcast, you know, about favorite cuts of beef. But since we're in this loin and sirloin primal area here, I'd love to hear your favorite from this area. Why and how you would normally prepare it? Maybe it's because my wife is such a fan of it. And so, you know, when it's her go-to, it sort of became my go-to. But I'm I'm always going to probably head back to the filet, the the bite, the, the flavor you know, the tenderness, et cetera. And I, I keep it simple when it, when it comes to a great cut of beef. You know, I, I prefer my filet pan seared. I don't want to lose any of my juices, a little bit of compound butter or just a little bit of seasoning. And that's just my go-to. Maybe it's, uh, <laughs> I like things simple. You know, you, again, you try to vary it up for your customers because, you know, again, they're experienced and they want to try something new all the time. But I don't know, as a chef, you kind of, and I, I speak to a lot of my colleagues, and they come back to the basics. Man, you cannot beat a a, a good fillet. No, I agree. Fillet on the grill is delicious too, right? But pan searing it, maybe a cast iron skillet. Yeah, you know, throwing in some nubs of butter there at the end, and really, you know, getting a little bit of that brown butter flavor. And yeah, that's you can't beat that. You know, salt and pepper, basic, and let the beef sing. No, no need to go any further than that yeah you can come up with you know different scenarios and different products and, and, there's sure. some, and they're all great but you know if you, you're asking me that i guess that would have to be my well chef michael this has been awesome thank you so much for sharing your expertise your knowledge your passion thanks for everything you do for the brand yeah you've been a signature chef for well over a decade for us uh hoping we get another decade out of you i know that you when you say it you truly live and believe in this brand. It's been solid for you forever. But also, I just love what you bring, this simplistic view. I've had the opportunity of cooking with you in the kitchen, rock solid. You mentioned you're in a smaller town there in Virginia, you know, but you still have your finger on the pulse of what's going on trend-wise with food and, and global trends, and you're bringing that as much as you can to educate and give people experience in that town. So I appreciate you, and... I'm sure your customers appreciate you too, right? And everybody that works with you. But I wanted to thank you again for joining us on the podcast and uh, take some time out of your life to do this, but really appreciate it. Absolutely, Pete. You know, it's uh, been a a great experience being with Sterling all these years as a signature chef. But as great as the product is, the people that, that I've interacted with, with Cargill, with Sterling Silver, the other Sterling Silver chefs, that's been the 
a great experience and, and mm-hmm. just as rewarding. You know, you got a great product, but product is not a person. And uh, both the people and the product have been just top notch. So I've, I've enjoyed doing this, uh, this podcast today, but I've also enjoyed my last uh, almost, I think, 12 years uh, being a, a chef. And I appreciate the opportunity that Sterling has been so loyal with me. Look forward to seeing you here in the future. Take care. Listeners, be sure to join us next time as we continue our look at Beef Primals. Next episode, we'll be heading towards the finishing line of our series as we turn our attention to the Round Primal, an area that demands creativity as well as some low and slow cooking. You'll want to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss out on that. In closing, thank you for joining us on In the Kitchen with Sterling Silver. Be sure to join us next time as we continue to slice into the amazing world of beef. Until then, happy eating. To get the next episode delivered to your inbox, subscribe on our website, sterlingsilvermeats.com. Just sign up for our e-newsletter at the top of the page. You can also subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms. And be sure to follow at Sterling Silver Premium Meats on Instagram. Until next time, we'll see you in the kitchen with Sterling Silver Premium Meats.